my gosh, I need to start doing that with people. Good morning, Deb. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Good, good. So you're excited to be recorded. That's that's what you were just saying. It's, it's time to put out more content because you know the world needs to hear your story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I read between the lines. What have you been up to? I heard your, your practice is uh, booming, you're growing, you're exploding. and you're Well, my practice is great, except this little coronavirus thing that's happening. So we are about uh, 75%, maybe 70% down because I'm not a physician out on the front line. I'm a specialist. So we have a healthier population of patients. And so we're just seeing less patients right now. But, you know, we're having to be strategic. We're having to you know, cut expenses where we need to. I've had to furlough some of my staff and fortunately um, they're okay, you know, thanks to some of the federal funding that's available for them. But we are seeing some patients who, you know, have a need for us that can't wait. We'd rather them come here than, you know, us than have them go to the emergency room. Right. Well, what is it, what is it you guys uh, serve? So what, what community, what city, town, a uh, community service, and then uh, what kind of patient uh, would be the ideal patient to, to come through with you? So, right. Uh, so we're in a town called Lorton, Virginia. It's in the Northern Virginia market. Um, I've been in this practice for about five, I've had this practice for five years now, but I've been in this market for about 10 years. This is my 10th year. Um, so I'm a podiatrist. Any foot and ankle issues, we treat here with our patients, you know, from diabetics to, you know, kids, uh, flat feet to um, bunions, you know, broken ankles, all of that, you name it, we see it, we do it. So um, it's great. And, you know, we're just, you know, dealing with this thing. But right now, patients who see us are dealing with more urgent issues. We're asking patients who can defer treatment to stay at home and, and you know, um, you know, we have a pretty strict lockdown here in Virginia, actually until June 10th. So, and our governor is a physician or, you know, was a physician. So I think his uh, perspective is pretty stringent on the whole quarantine. Right. I don't see any releasing of um, our state uh, getting, um, you know, not having this lockdown anytime too soon. Right. So Virginia is very similar to California where they're like, you know what? We're not risking it. Everybody stay home. We'll figure the rest out later. You know, it's, it is going to be interesting. I just saw yesterday in Pennsylvania that there were a bunch of protesters in, um, you know, on the Capitol in Harris, Harrisburg, I think. Yep. Harrisburg. And, you know, I was actually just literally talking to one of my infectious disease colleagues yesterday, and he was just, you know, underscoring how, you know, contagious this virus is, you know, just one person and, and so many people didn't have masks on. I mean, yep. just someone near you, just the yelling, you know, can put out uh, virus particles, you know, so if, if it's yeah. a reality we're dealing with. And not getting too many politics of it, but. No, and you're right. And like a story that's really close to home in the, in the city that I'm in, we're in Fall River here. We actually just lost four, four members of a, a pretty prominent family in the city. Um, they own a uh, Porsche's, um, uh, not a convenience store, Porsche's uh, grocery store. And um, not just one member, but four of the members that worked there, all family, um, all passed away this week. So it's, it's been really tough in the community. And it's, I think it's just an eye opener for everybody here that, you know, it's, it's far more contagious and far more deadly than, and, and I, I'm guilty of it too, you know, saying, hey, you know, no big deal. Let's, let's keep moving and doing things. Um, but the way we're communicating now, we can still do business. 
right? We can still do business. We can still transfer money to each other for transferring knowledge and helping each other out. And I really, I'm, I'm more in tune with it now. So I'm glad that you were talking to your colleague and, and they're confirming the same thing that we're seeing. It is, yeah, it's serious. We have to play by the rules, but at the same time, we have to make money, right? This is an economy based on uh, yeah. dollar bills. And if we don't pay, we don't get to eat. We don't have housing. And, you know, that's, that's part of the game. You know, we've got to find this balance. <laughs> I know it really is. You know, I was listening to um, a podcast uh, with Ray Dalio. I mean, and just like, oh, nice. Anything this guy says, I mean, you can pretty much, I mean, it just comes with such expertise and experience. And he, his, his perspective was that this is going to change, you know, the world, not just economy, but, you know, it's going to be like a new world order, like how we, you know, really, it's there's a saying that like when the tide goes out, who's left with their pants down? I think that in a way, it's like you're really seeing, you know, how we as business owners or even how we as countries, you know, what are our financials? Like, do we have, you know, a certain order in place? Are there, um, you know, is there an equity system for all people? Because, you know, he was just kind of pointing to when things like this happen, I mean, you could have like a real revolution with right. just world order and you know not to be like uh you know uh you know being a crisis person but there's a whole macroeconomics to this that people who are way smarter than me can can kind of look at that i can't really appreciate which is kind of interesting perspectives absolutely and if anybody who's listening to this go and read the book principles by ray dalio follow his podcast follow his blogs he's such an intelligent economist um i've learned so much from him and his articles are the ones i go to if I'm going to figure out what's the future yeah. holds and what's going on right now, I just go to Ray Dalio and I'm like, okay, he has a better grasp on all the stuff I'll never read. And this is the opinion I'm running with. So I, I'm glad that that's where your source is coming from as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. And, you know, and with that, just to also, you know, kind of a little truth serum, you know, that saying, you know, when the tide's out, who's left with their pants down, you know, there is, um, you know, you know, with our business contracting as it is, I mean, it's just, it's a time to be reflective and really do that real, kind of good look in the mirror of, you know, what's working, what's not working, what could be working better, what have I gotten, what have I been slacking on, you know, just really do a good audit of our systems, uh, like of everything. So, you know, it's just kind of what your perspective is when these things happen and how Absolutely. are you utilizing the time? Absolutely. You're taking, you're taking an opportunity. You're seeing this not as a challenge. You're seeing it as an opportunity saying, hey, this is no problem. This is, I get to stand back. I'm forced to stand back. I'm looking back now. What's, what do I see? What can I improve? Uh, yeah. And it like, like the most, uh, like the biggest thing to, to take on is like, I'm the barrier to my next level of success. You know, that's a hard pill sometimes to swallow, but <laughs> it's like the bad news and the good news, you know, exactly. you can do something about it. So. Absolutely. So going back, so you and I met at Train the Trainer. We had a blast. We were learning. Uh, we were in one of the most uncomfortable positions, both as leaders in our companies, going to a place and being the student again, and then realizing that we really suck <laughs> and, and being like broken down and built back up. And we had some really fun experiences um, working to sell our mission to each other, sell our product to each other. Um, so just a, a great relationship, but we haven't been able to see each other in so long because you're down in Virginia, I'm up in Massachusetts, and we've allowed this barrier to, to exist. But right now, as we're communicating, I'm realizing it's like you're right here in my living room. This is no big deal. Like this is this is now something I'm, I'm available to reach out to good people that we have good relationships with, good connections with, but I'm no longer allowing the local barrier to be a real thing. So this right. is one positive. Yeah, no, totally. And to that point, like we weren't doing telehealth visits before. 
and now I'm doing telehealth visits. And I got to tell you, it's the most fun thing to like see my patients' um, living rooms, you know, oh, I like that piece of art on the wall or, you know, it just, there's like a different um, experience that maybe wasn't had here in the office. So, you know, like you said, it's like taking the good with it. So, yeah. And by the way, one of the most fun parts of the train the trainer was the whole dressing up and dancing in front of everybody. I don't know, you know, for those- Still got the picture in my office. Oh yeah, I did it. <laughs> right, yeah, that's, oh my gosh, so that was so much fun. Yep. <laughs> yeah, such good stuff. I love that you have it right there. Awesome. Just just um, a reminder, right? We're trainers, right? it's our job to influence the world. We've got to put out that good message. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that, that was life-changing. Totally. Well, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about you because of all, I'm like, wow, this, you know, look at him doing all of this real estate stuff. And, you know, that's something I've been newly taking on. So really great. Very good. So where are you at in real estate? I know that any entrepreneur at some point realizes you need to put your money into some sort of asset on the sidelines, right. let it grow, let's, let it get you some sort of retirement. Because as an entrepreneur, you can build these businesses and then your only play is either automate them and you're still managing or sell them. But with real estate, you can, it's almost this passive entity where you can explode it and it gives you a different exposure to the yeah. markets. Same yeah. with stocks, but real estate's a little bigger, a little more stable. Yeah. I mean, I actually, funny enough, I met someone at Train the Trainer and we, and then I saw him at the next course, the Warrior Camp in, um, uh, whenever it was, it was in May last year, actually. Um, have you been to it yet? I haven't gone. I haven't done Light Warrior yet. It's, it's on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> And like, we just, you know, you build these bonds, these connections with people at these kinds of events. And, you know, since then we started having weekly calls and he is into real estate. He's an investor himself. He is building, you know, he's building a nice portfolio for himself. And I got like really curious about what he was doing and he's implementing the birth strategy. And I was like, wow, you know, I think I had like one rental that I, I used to live in the place and someone else was uh, renting it. And I you know, made a little bit of cash flow. But I really love this whole model. And I was like, I think I'm going to start, you know, getting into this. So there, you know, the price point in Northern Virginia is just, it's just, it's overpriced, really. So I had to look other locations and I was looking like in Maryland, I'm sorry, in um, Florida, because I'm from there. And even still, it was really a tough market. Jacksonville was like a maybe market. Yep. Uh, but then I discovered uh, Baltimore, which, um, you know, has some of its challenges just, you um, you know, within the local politics and, and, you know, some other issues, but, you know, it's, it's an opportunity market also. And so I started looking into them. I found this rock star agent who um, was an investor agent. She was an investor herself. Like I didn't, she was tell, teaching me. Right. So yeah. I ended up buying a property. I never even saw it. She's, she went and saw it for me and she's like, yeah, I think it's a good deal. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So, and then it worked out. And then I bought like the next one, never saw it. She saw it for me. And so one of them, I inherited a renter. Um, so that's been working out. The other one uh, we closed in January as a pre-auction, uh, already had a lot of renovations done and we're still, you know, we, we've had some, I had to do like a little bit of um, reno on it a little bit. Um, and we're still looking for a renter uh, placement, a renter place, uh, uh, placement right now. Um, but and all this whole COVID thing has kind of uh, stopped some of that. But you know, it's a great property, and I know we're going to get a get a great tenant in there. So, um, but then that person said to me, "He's like, wow, Danielle, it's really great. You're doing. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Like, you really want to do something? If you really want to scale, you got to get into multifamily." 
<laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs> awesome. So, awesome. So then I started like reading more about that. And I was like, this just makes so much more sense. And every person I hear who does multifamily said, I, you know, it was like their gateway was single family and they're like, yeah, they're just, they're not the same. And I, if I could have just gotten right into multifamily and it is such a different skill. So I actually took on like the seriousness of my commitment and I, I hired a coaching program last week. So, and they guarantee results within 12 months with your first deal. So I'm pretty excited. And that's really it. You know, it's like, I was studying a lot on my own. I was learning a lot, but there is something to be said about having people who, um, no more than you who can, you know, just, just your ability to scale and get there quicker. It, that, that makes all the difference. And that's what I realized, like me trying to do it all myself isn't working. <laughs> no, exactly. Deb, that, what a powerful story. So what city again was it? Is it in Maryland? Um, where I bought my property, two rentals yes. thing, um, in Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. Baltimore, Maryland. So you bought two rentals. You don't live there. How far is that from where you live? It's about 50 miles, I'm saying. Miles. So an hour, hour and a half to get there? An hour, yeah. Okay. No traffic, so. so it's amazing. So one, you, you own your own practice, right? Female entrepreneurs, just, just, I love it. I love seeing women do amazing, especially in my industry, right? When you get into real estate, yeah. Yeah. I look at it and, and you now know, right? And any, anyone who's listening to this, like pay attention. You don't actually have to do a thing in real estate. You don't know how to change toilets. You don't have to know how to like rip a roof apart. Like you don't have to know any of these things. You just have to know who knows, pay them and they will do the job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're doing this and you're being successful in it. And now your shift from single family is the same thing. I My first house is a single family home, move in, flip. And I realized, I was like, oh my God, like, fuck this. I'll never do it again. I've got to get in a multifamily. And I've been stacking them and I'll never even go back to like a two family. I won't go anything lower than a, a three. And I honestly, I almost hate threes. I look at them as like, I'll flip a three, but I'd rather be in a six, right? Like yeah. Yeah. as you stack, I mean, there's, but there's a process to get there. No, there is. You know, it's funny because as I'm like taking on this um, course where, you know, they're looking at bigger deals, you know, part of me is like, well, oh, you know, I saw this, you know, threeplex that I thought maybe I could, you know, do some work on and maybe get that up rent ready. But yeah. then I was like, is that really where I need to have my focus? Like, cause you know, you got to put an intention out there and you get it. I heard a saying that you win every game you're playing. Yes. You just may not be playing the right games. So be exactly. responsible and pay attention to the game you're playing. So. That's exactly right. It's all about your goals. What do you want in five years yeah. from now? If you're, if you're looking to retire in five years richer, like what you're making right now, yeah. you can do it in five properties, five transactions. But if you're doing five single families, not possible. Yeah, right? no, it's so great. It's so great. And I think that what was in my way, and I, and I discovered this um, with a lot of people like who are looking to like be this expanded person and getting into this industry is like there's like this kind of thing about mindset, like this, like, I can't do it. This is too big. I don't know enough. I didn't come from the, from the right family. Like, I mean, just all these conversations that as you're expanding, or at least as I'm expanding, like I'm immediately confronted with no, like, it's like that lizard brain, stay the way you are, stay safe. You know, it's like, you have to be willing to like overcome that. And even in like doing still some of these smaller deals, I think it comes from like, like, oh, I don't know if I can really do the bigger deals. You know, I'm, maybe I'm not good enough to do the bigger deals or whatever that conversation is. So really having to overcome that, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going for these big deals. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, so. You're, you're right, Deb. You're going through the same thing. So many investors start off with, you're just a little further ahead, right? You've bought a couple of singles. You've gotten to the point where you're like, all right, no more singles. I'm done with that. I've got to get multis. Now you're thinking three families. And I, 
every time I go to an event and I hear somebody, and I, I'm, I go to these big syndication events, right? So they're talking about 100 unit plus. Like we're not even gonna look at it if it's 50,000 units, uh, 50 units. And like they're talking syndication, big, big yeah. deals. And I'll be, you know, my mindset's there. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm ready to syndicate. I'm ready to do one of these. And then I'll talk to somebody in the room and they're like, yeah, I'm just looking for a two family. It's like this, this massive gap. And you want to be like, don't go for the two, go for the four. But you realize like they're just not there yet. And that's okay. Like it's, there's no right or wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> but if you get global about it, you can see that it is the same amount of energy to invest in the smaller stuff than it probably would be the bigger stuff. It's just a fear factor to overcome, you know? Like for me, I'm like, I want at least a 20 unit going forward. Perfect. Um, Perfect. So, and it may not, maybe bigger, you know? You know, so from my, what I'm hearing, sometimes some investors, you know, for syndicating, because that's what I'm looking to do, do yep. want to invest in bigger deals. Like it's, it might be even easier to capital raise on bigger deals than smaller deals. A 20 unit is going to be harder for you to raise capital on, right? You, you've got to, I'd say 50 units is kind of that sweet spot where it starts yeah. making sense. Yeah. But anything 20 to 40 is there's a sweet spot for people like me who, who are comfortable with it, who don't need to syndicate to buy those. Right. Whereas I would have to syndicate to go over 50 units. So to go to hundred, I'd have to. So are you doing any syndicated deals right now? Not at the moment. I, like I said, I've built stacked. So now I'm sitting on a million dollars of cash. So we could go and buy a $4 million portfolio talking 30 to 40 units. So we can pick up between 30 to 50 units right now. So that's. You, what has you, like, what, are you open to syndicating, you know, just for the whole economies of scale? Oh yeah. Learning, learning, absorbing, building the relationships. I just met uh, Kenny Wolf, who uh, is working on a 600 unit syndication in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and the guys I hang out with up in Boston and the Newton event, they're the multifamily syndicators, multifamily investors. They're known for syndication. A lot of them, oh. uh, one of the guys, uh, Matt Pishin, he owns uh, 2000 units, right? All syndicated. He's a GP on some, he's uh, just a, a general, uh, just a uh, partner on others, mm -hmm. but that's how he, he got into it, right? He started with a duplex and then jumped to syndication. So <laughs> was, duplex to syndication. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. Um, he is just a very educated person mm -hmm. and he pounded on the education. He invested in them. He was, he was following other GPs, general partners and learned the process and then he just felt very comfortable then realized, you know what, I can do this. And he jumped into that step, but it wasn't, wasn't overnight. It was but in years. Had, like in a, a circle of influence that Absolutely. influenced him. Yeah. I think Absolutely. that's the big difference having like a circle around you. And that's, that's that big think. If everybody's thinking the same, you no longer are allowed to think that way. You'll, you'll get picked on. It's a, the pack mentality is, Hey, no, no, we think like this here. Sorry. <laughs> we don't talk about those. We, we only talk about this. You're, you're exactly right. You know, like getting in a room of people that you get on, you're uncomfortable is a good, good room to be in. Yeah. They're and, and, standing you. And Deb, so you, when you said 20 units, my first thought was, I like that goal. 20 units is a good goal, right? You spend an under $2 million. If you were, if you were to raise capital, you're talking somewhere in that 200,000, 400,000 range, right? It doesn't have to be too crazy because at that, at that, arena, somebody's making money, right? The seller is going to be making money. They're going to be making a profit. There's going to be a capital gain. Just like if you sold a business, there's a capital gain you're going to pay taxes on. So they're willing to bring some money to the table. They're willing to do some seller financing, maybe not on the whole thing. I mean, they want to get paid, right? They just, they sold something they want to get paid. They're usually selling for a reason, but if they can get a, a note on 10, 20% and you're giving them interest on that, 
That's money you don't are have to they, raise. Are they holding? So are, that's a good question, actually. So are you coming across sellers that will hold a second note on the deal? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it's never, it's never, I always, I was wondering, oh, is that going to be, would they be reticent for that? Cause they'll have second position, you know, under the bank or you're, you're finding that no, it, they're, they're working with that. So it, in smaller buildings, it's more of an issue. The bigger you get, the more intelligent the investor is, the more they realize, like they know what they're selling at. One, you're buying at a discount, right? So they already know that the bank has equity in the property. So they know the loan they're taking is, is really a, a good loan. And then the other side of it, it's a building they've owned before. So yes, the, the bank may take the building and then that person has the option to get that building back. So there's, there's still a lot of reason for somebody to take a second position. Um, a lot of my good friends, uh, attorneys, right, take second positions on deals. So it definitely makes sense if you know the investor and you trust what they're doing and you know the building. If you know you're selling them a garbage building, probably going to be reticent to, uh, to do seller financing. But if you know it's a good quality building and you're not concerned, it's, it's usually pretty easy to get away with that because they're not going to pay a tax on that. That's 200000 yeah. or 400000 they won't have to pay taxes on. Yeah, yeah. So um, my question for you is, when you're looking to make those kind of very um, strategic deals with a seller and you're, you've got a broker in between you, yeah. um, how does that usually play out? Are you looking to get direct contact with the seller or are you able to use, get all this communicated through the broker? You're a very intelligent person. You have taken train the trainer. I'm sure you've studied language. So I would say you want to be the person having the conversation with the seller. Agents are great. I love all agents, but they're not all created equal. I'd say 1% have the skills that you have to be able to have this conversation once you just get comfortable with it. And the other side is most agents don't even understand what we're talking about right now. Whereas you have taken the time to understand how creative financing works. The, the other thing I want to say about doing the, the partnership with the, uh, with the seller is you could just give them an equity stake. You're syndicating anyway. Give them an equity stake and make them one of the partners that you're raising the capital with. Wait, give who an equity stake, the broker? The seller. Seller, okay. The person who owns the property now. How do you get to the seller, like directly? Have you had that be an obstacle when you're dealing, we've got the broker in between you? Well, I'm I'm also an agent, so (laughs) I usually don't have that issue. I just tell them, hey, look, I'm never going to cut you out of this deal. I just don't know that you can communicate this as well as I can. Let's all sit down together if you want to. But there's no way I'm going to allow this deal to fall apart. And look, I, I trust you. I know you're an intelligent person, but there's no way you have the understanding I have on this. Go watch one of my YouTube videos and tell me you know half the stuff I just said. So, you know, right, let's, right. let's go and sit down. Okay. And you can throw a couple of words out, throw some real estate jargon that there's no way they're going to know, right? Like 1031 exchange, just stop all letters, like just throw some things. And yeah. if the agent so, doesn't know what it is, instantly they're like, okay, Deb, you run it. One of your strategies to circumvent that is to say like, let's have a meeting, all three of us. Yes. And that usually they're amenable to that on the, and you let them know, I'm not trying to cut you out of the deal or anything like that. Yeah. Build the relationship with the realtor first, let them trust you, let them know you're ethical and moral, let them know you want them in this deal. In fact, you, you love that they're in this deal. This one piece is super complex and you trust yourself to have this conversation and you want to pay the agent and just let them know, look, I want you in this deal. I want to work with you in the future. Right. So give me this favor. That's really great. Um, so how about you? How long have you been in, in the real estate game? Oh, uh, so I bought my first house back in 08. So that was a fail. <laughs> but um, I've been by multifamily since I was, um, since it was 2013. So seven years ago. 
Wow, good for so you. And what seven was seven years of mastery, right? What was your life before that? I was an accountant. So I did numbers and okay. drove an hour to Boston every day. <laughs> no kidding. So you had like a corporate job of some sort? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. And yeah, then what happened? Like you fired your boss. I mean, how did that and then you became an agent? Yeah. So it all happened all at the same time, right? I got this mindset of entrepreneurship. I was like, I'm going to go do this. Read uh, all the books except for Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read every single other book. And then I went and I started a wedding invitation business with my wife. I started a wedding invitation business. We we're doing well. We made 10 grand. Then we made 40 grand. We were on track to make 100 grand that year. And I bought two rental properties because I was like doing everything, right? All the things. You start a business, buy a rental property. And I was getting my license. And then went through a divorce. Like my wife wanted a divorce. Like, cause I was just, I was a different person. I was not the guy who just stayed at work and did my, my thing. I became the entrepreneur, right? Let's do whatever it takes to, to find more excitement in life. Yeah. So I quit my job. <laughs> and at that point, my license became the only way I was not a salesperson. Right? I was an accountant and my license became the only way I could make income. And I learned sales mechanically, not born this way created the sales skill. So that is, uh, that's how I got into it. Yeah. I would not have expected you <laughs> as an accountant, you know, oh. <laughs> to show like on some level, I feel like, you know, I, there's a, people are very quick to say I'm this way or I'm that way, or I'm not this way. I'm not that way. And really that's like the most disempowering thing you can do for yourself because you can create yourself as any way you want to be right now, right now, right now. Like if it, if it works for you, then go keep doing it. But if it's like, it doesn't really work for me that I say I'm this way, then let it go and create like revolutionize yourself. I mean, that's the one thing you're not a tree. You can change, you know, you can do something different. So I, I love it. And yeah, you know, it's funny because as a physician, which, you know, it's a very high uh, barrier to entry with all the education Yep. And then here I am as a physician, and although it's really great to, um, and it's an honor to take care of patients, you know, there's something about being an entrepreneur that just is, it just, I'm bitten. I can't even tell you. So here, <laughs> and it's funny because I am, even though we're dealing with what we're dealing with, and I don't know what the future holds with like when we'll be back to business as usual, um, you know, previous to this, like two months ago, I was looking at acquiring a second practice and I'm still looking to do that and you know scale this business as well and it's like oh my gosh like how are you getting into multifamily you're gonna grow this business but it's like when you make a decision for like that next level of success it's like just things just like start just moving beyond your even control it seems like i don't know absolutely you make a decision (laughs) i was on a call last night with uh, some of my mentor students and i just started the mentorship we're jumping on the call this is their first step and one of the guys he um he's in the financial sector and he said i I asked him, what is your win for the week? What'd you do great this week? And he said, I made a commitment to not allow this virus to change my business. There's so many people in the, in the and he said, and I, I word that wrong. I'm not allowing this, this virus to stop me from making more money because it's going to change my business, going to increase the income. He said, I made that commitment this week. And I was like, well, congratulations. Great. You've made a commitment to buy another practice to, or maybe not buy, acquire another practice to, to increase your income in something you're already good at, something you believe in, and you're making the same commitment to have another multifamily, 20 unit plus. Yeah. And you're looking to make these moves and these changes and you're starting to realize it doesn't take money to do that. It takes a desire, a commitment to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The 24 units I bought in, actually both, both transactions I just did, I did 24 units in October and did 11 units in January. Neither of them took a dollar out of my pocket. Wow. Both were both were dollarless transactions. 
How, I know how, give me an example of how that happened. Like pick one and tell me how you did that. All right, so, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 you, Deb, you're going to do it. And so giving you the advice, giving you the information, I, I feel confident in, in what this is going to do for you. So I went in and I put an offer in with hard money to purchase the 24 unit condos. And then as we were going to, closer to the closing, I started raising capital, private money. Just bring friends, bring investors in, raise 100, raise 50, raise 50, raise 50. We purchased for, it was an $840,000 purchase. What got us was the title searches, $28,000 in title searches because it's 24 condos. So oh. that was a big closing cost. We just didn't expect, never had it on another deal. So that we actually paid out of pocket and then raised capital to bring pay ourselves back out of that. So within a within a couple of weeks we had the money back in our pocket so although i did put money down I, I quickly pulled it out so that was hard money private money just a matter of a quick raise right i had to raise three hundred thousand private and uh, two hundred thousand private and then uh six hundred something thousand for the, uh, hard money and then when, when it came time to you did a refinance position is that what you did doing the refinance right now which by the way should have done it last month <laughs> <laughs> Last month, it would have been much faster, but rates are lower now. So, and our, our lender is able to do it. He's a hedge fund manager. So he's, he's just, or he's a hedge, he works with hedge funds and he's just doing and twisting the numbers right now to make sure it go through the process. We're just, fortunately we have the reserves, but we have to have way tighter restrictions, way more reserves, way higher credit score, which we have all of it to line up. So, so it's still when, working out. So my question for you is on the refinance, was there any kind of seasoning period you had to deal with to get that refinance at about loan to value versus a loan to cost? If I wanted to just refinance like normal, no. So I'd still have my hard money, my private money, I'd still have to have that. That 200,000 would still sit there, but I'd get the 600 handled. Now I'm looking for a cash out refi. The lender I have is a very unique lender and he's connected to hedge funds and they don't have the same restrictions as commercial lenders. Um, and so he's been able to actually make that work. We get a cash out. And we're going to walk away with some money from the table. So we're, we're pulling an extra 200000 out of it. Okay. So we'll have a little bit of money in reserves for the situation we're coming into. Which, And when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, if something goes wrong for us. I mean, things go wrong for other people. Who am I going to go in and buy property from in the next couple of months? Because right. no, Absolutely. You yeah. want to be in the best position. So yeah. with this cash out refinance, you were able to pay back the hard money. Yeah. But you still have your, you still have your private money on the, on the deal. So yes, so they're friends of mine, right? They're all relationships. When I go and I do this, finish the refinance, refinance finishes next month. So when I finish it, I reach out to every one of them and say, hey, who wants their cash back? And I know nobody wants, well, most of them don't want their cash back. In fact, one of them just told me last week, he was like, hey, uh, you want another 100,000? <laughs> it was like just two points and 12%, 100,000, you, you can have it. And so I know the investors are looking to keep their cash in real estate because they see this is a solid yeah. return. Wow. Yeah. I mean, thanks for answering some of the yeah. getting in the weeds of some of the, how that works. Yes. Um, and you know, it's like, as you're starting, sometimes I feel like my questions have questions, you know, like they're all, they're all good questions, Deb. You're asking great questions. The other one is easier. If you want to hear about the other one, the other one was, I thought I was going to follow the same process. Okay. Hard money, private money, um, Doing hard money. I'm, I start raising the capital for private money. And then I just have a conversation with the seller. He wants to close faster. Okay. I was like, well, look, the only way I can close faster is if you hold paper. He held the paper. Okay. <laughs> I got to the closing. I walked away with $4,000. <laughs> That's amazing. So 
but then you're going to look to refi. Are you looking to refi reposition on that as well? Of course we're in, we're in 12% on, on hard money, 12% on his uh, loans. So when we go to the bank, we're getting down to that four or 5% cash flow. We're already cash flowing, but cash flow goes way through the roof. So when you are going to refinance, I mean, does this mean that if you're getting, are you getting like a 75% LTV on that with the refinance typically? And then so are you looking that you bought under value? Is that the deal? Way under value. Yes. Always, always. We won't, I would never, and I want to pay, I want everybody, you, everybody listening, do not buy hard money if you are not buying extremely under value. When I say I'm under value, I'm talking 50% under value. I'm buying 100,000 units for $50,000. Okay. 100,000 units for $35,000. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So let me ask yes. you this. That, that's really great. So what is typically, what are the terms of the hard money as far as like to, to, um, to cost? How much are they giving you to cost typically percentage? So hard money, they want to see an ARV of between 70, 70, 65 right now. They're really getting tight. So a lot of my lenders are saying 60% LTV, right? Loan to value, uh, uh, ARV, after repair value, they want to see 60% minus renovations just because we're in a spot where they want to make sure they get the money back. Are they doing anything? Um, what about loan to cost in combination with that AR percent to ARV? So loan to cost is more of the commercial side of things. Okay. So they, they definitely, no, I'll say, yeah, they're not giving us that free money like they used to. Like before they would tell me, Hey, yeah, no big deal. 10%, whatever you want. Some of them are no money down. Just, you know, you run the deal. Okay. They're pulling back to the 20 and 30%. Okay. For, for me, they're still okay because we have a tight relationship. I get a big portfolio to cover me. Right, right. That's Whereas great. if you've only got one or two flips under your belt, they may yeah. go back and say, you know what? We want a little more meat on the bone. Bring us 20%. Wow. Okay. That's really great. Um, and then how long are you sitting? Like, what are you saying? I'll give myself this amount of time in that hard money and in that private money. Are you saying 12 months, six months, or what is your, your time frame on that? Yeah, we always go with a loan that's a year. All of my lenders have always, like right up front, they say, yep, we could extend to two years if you needed it. Okay. So we have that relationship. And I've, I've always chosen lenders that I, I know, people I trust, like good lenders who, um, they say it, like, I don't want to own property. I don't want those lenders. Oh. Right? I'm not looking for the guys who are looking to get your property. I want the guys who, they're older, they don't want it. They're just going to put their money to work. That's really great. Wow. Okay. Well, look at you. I love it. Like you're, <laughs> you really are on that next level of like really being, um, you really put it, you're an employer of money is how I see it. Like you're really putting money to work. And I, I like, that's such a, like that I didn't have before, like, you know, as a, as a W2 of some sort, I mean, now I, now I have my own business, but still there, I, until I have other doctors working for me, I really just own a job if you know what I mean. So, and oh, yeah. that's, isn't really the end goal here. So, but I love that. You want to be an employer of money. You want to give people jobs. You want to create yeah. jobs for other yeah. entrepreneurs, other doctors totally. like yourself. You're the entrepreneur. It's your, you're a rarity. You're a special gift. So you want to make sure that you're giving jobs to the people who don't have the gift that you have to right? To be able to go and build a business, to yeah. consider a second practice. That's a, that's a gift that you were given that the desire for freedom, more options. So Put your money to work by creating jobs is i mean especially at a time like this right yeah absolutely. appreciate jobs more yeah and you know it leverages your time in a way that you can make bigger differences i mean you know really having a purpose to be driven by makes i think is a big deal 
Absolutely. And you, and you look at once, and you already have a couple of tenants, right? And so you know how that relationship is. You know how cool it is to have those buildings. Wait till you have your 20-unit building. Wait till you have, you know, 40, 50 units under your belt and you're thinking, wow, like my property manager relies on me for a paycheck. My contractors rely on me for their paychecks. My tenants rely on me for clean, safe housing, yeah. right? Like all of my tenants know who I am. They're all my social media. And I, I tell them all, I tell the whole world, my tenants are great, clean, safe. They, they uh, pay on time. Like I got the best tenants. In fact, I just sent a $20 notice to all of my tenants saying, look, you pay before the first this month. You're getting twenty dollars, and this is for the rest of as long as you're my tenant. You pay before the first, you're getting twenty bucks. Just as a hey, thank you for being a good tenant who pays on time. Yeah, right? like, I, I love that. Landlords like, are getting scared right now. They're pulling back. They're saying, "Oh man, my tenants aren't paying." I'm like, you know what? Let me give them an incentive. Let me give them an incentive to pay on time, pay early. Yeah, totally thinking out of the box. That's great. That's great. So you've been doing this for seven years in real estate, huh? Oh yeah. In 2013. Okay. Yep. Yeah. But really exploded in the last two years. That's so remarkable. the last two years, I, I signed up with my business partner. He came in with uh, the drive. He didn't have a lot of knowledge, but he had drive. Yeah. And that's all it takes to be successful. He had drive. We, we went from, I had my 22 units, and then I sold a few, picked up, to, we went to 42 together, right? He and I went up to 42, sold down to 14, and then we just jumped back up to 57, and we've just sold a couple. We're down at 49. We'll probably hold around 48, 48, 49. We'll sell a condo this year, but we're looking to pick more up right now. We're at a point where we've paid off so much debt, got rid of so many properties we didn't like. We fixed them, turned them, but they were just too small for us. And we passed yeah. them over to great landlords, turnkey property. And now we're moving on to bigger stuff that we like more with a better equity position. We're so thankful that this COVID thing happened now and not six months ago before we could acquire these properties. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, it's so, so in general, would you say going forward, you're more of a buy and hold, you know, that's more of your position? Versus Always has been. Now? Always has been. Yeah. I, a buy and hold is how I started. It's how I'll end the game. But as you buy and hold, you start seeing the equity in a building in the small, you'll see your single families. You, you won't own those five years from now. Those single families, they're going to have built up so much equity. You're going to look at that and say, man, there's 100,000 or there's 200,000 sitting there. It's time for this to be sold to buy me a, a six or a 10 unit building. I've yeah. got to pyramid up and take this one to buy three or buy six or 10. The equity has to move. That's amazing. So is, are you pretty local to your market there? Oh yeah. I'm the, I, I can walk to my properties right? <laughs> from where I am. One of them would take me 30 minutes to walk there, but to drive there is five minutes. So are you, are you manage self-managing or have you integrated that vertically in your, in your system or are you outsourcing? So, um, as you get bigger, you self-manage, right? In yeah. the beginning, you really should have a property manager, especially if you have a W-2, you have a job. I think you can, you can get away with it. If it's owner-occupied, you can manage a little bit. You get a taste of what management is, and then you want to get a property manager in place so you understand what they're doing, right? So you should do a little bit, learn it, and then teach your system or your, your strategy or get somebody who manages the way you want them to manage. Mm -hmm. But between between 20 and 80 units, there's this there's a spot where it's like, you're either going to quit your job and do this full time as a manager, not as an investor, as a manager, or you're going to pay a manager, let the property portfolio build up enough. When you get to the point where you're paying them 70, 80,000 a year. Okay. You're right. It'd be easier to like cut that property manager out and go and get yourself a, a person you're paying 36,000 a year, 40,000 a year, and they're running everything for you. So there, there's a point where it does make sense. They, but in the middle, 
if you're between, I'd say 12 to uh, probably 80 units, 60 units, that spot makes sense to have a property manager. Really, really does. Yeah, yeah. So are you saying like where you're at right now, you, but you don't have a property manager? Like, oh, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, they're, they're vertically integrated, right? In your business, correct? So for me right now, I actually have, I have a 1099 outside uh, property manager that we pay. She's phenomenal. Uh, Becky Rosen runs my property. She manages 400 and our 50 are only, it's a, a quarter of what she does. Okay. So, uh, actually one eighth of what she does now. Okay. Oh, okay. So when you say um, you have your own property manager, but you've outsourced it. So that's where I'm confused. Right. So what I did is I outsourced to an external company that does property management. Uh-huh. But when I started, it was all me. I got 22 units. I brought somebody, I brought an assistant in to manage my properties. She was a property manager internally. Okay. And I loved that system. But when she left, I now had a bigger portfolio. I had 50 units, 42 units that I, I just wasn't going to go train somebody to replace her. Yeah. I was, and I did, I just wasn't in the right position to do it. Okay. And so I just went to an outsourced uh, company. But when you, so when you first started, you did it yourself. I did. Yeah. But and I don't point, but you're saying for someone who's maybe a W2, like just have someone else do it. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Cause I have a property manager on board and it, yes. it definitely makes sense at this point. And they know tons more than I know. And that's know. the gift. That's what they have. You're better off paying them, pay your professionals at some point. Like my coach, uh, Charlie, Dob- Charlie Dobbins, he had 800 units at his peak and he's, he's a big syndication guy now. And his thing is, yeah, you want to manage your own properties, right? But you have, a, you have an assistant managing them. That's really what it is. You, you pay somebody to manage them, but it doesn't make sense in small properties, right? You've got to get to that 50 units, 100 units yeah. before it starts making sense to have somebody doing it. And then one person per every 100 to 150 units. Yeah, yeah. You go one person beyond that, you're going to see some, uh, some failure. Okay. Now, do you have any um, voucher tenants in your, any place, mm. you know, at least in any of your properties? What's your percentage on that? I have one. <laughs> I have two. I have two right now. Actually, I'm evicting one. So okay. I have, I have one. Okay. And um, so my exposure to them, I've only ever had three in my entire career. Uh, they've been great, you know, good tenants. Um, the program works. Uh, the inspections, the only thing, sometimes the inspections are a pain in the butt, but um, they've been great. You know, I, I don't have any issue with them. I've always enjoyed um, blue collar workers. I've always enjoyed tradesmen, uh, nurses, like those, those trades. I can see the physical work. I yeah. like having those types of people in my building. It's just, I relate to them better. Um, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And right now they're very stable. <laughs> yeah. They're all still working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yep. Well, it's interesting because, you know, there's like this real fear and worry about, you know, the unemployment rate. But I mean, some people are making more on unemployment right now than they do at the regular jobs. Yeah. With this whole federal funding with the extra, you know, influx of funds that came in. And I thought that was interesting. And even with, I was on a webinar last night with other colleagues in my profession and, you know, there's this payroll protection plan that's coming out for people. And there's a concern that, you know, you have to, you get, it's a forgivable loan. I don't know to what extent you know about this product, but you, there's a forgivable loan. If you, for a portion of the loan, if you're paying your staff, you're paying your mortgage, oh, you're paying. SBA, your staff. Yep. Now the problem is, is that you go to rehire your staff and they're like, I'm not coming. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm safe and I'm making the same or more money 
you know, so it's like, wow, that's an impact now to the employers with a forgivable loan. So, you know, they, there's a solution they created, but it has its kinks. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. There's a book called Big Shifts Ahead. I just started it and they talk about the government being one of the biggest things that'll change an economy. And, and same with real estate. When they make laws, local laws, it changes how we operate. So it's, it's going to be very exciting uh, what, what happens in the next couple of months. We're going to see the game change. Yeah. I've got a I've got a call I got to jump on in 14 minutes. But yeah, before yeah, I go, yeah. you're a you're extremely successful entrepreneur, extremely successful, powerful woman. What advice would you give to women right now in this time, this economy, looking to either get build their own business or get into real estate? Somebody who's already kind of started and learning a lot. What advice would you give to somebody you're, yourself 20 years ago? Mm, what advice? Well, it really hits home for me because it's something I really care about. And just to give a little context uh, where I'm coming from, you know, there was once upon a time that women couldn't vote. There was once upon, in the United States, there was once upon a time that um, black uh, people did not have equal rights. And we can agree that we're a better society, a better humanity for that level of equality that we now have. And one major level of inequality that persists isn't really just a conversation for an income, uh, a gender income gap, it's more of a gender wealth gap that exists on the planet. And I think that just sits really strongly with me about how that that is an inequity that exists on the planet. And so that leads me to, um, I have recently started a nonprofit called Unite Her, where we're bringing together um, women, professionals, entrepreneurs, and leaders to provide virtual uh, mentorship to girls all over. And really what's there for girls, for me to like, or younger people is to know that you know, probably what you're dealing with is a self-doubt or just a, a, dis, a non-belief that you could do this. So I would get, don't be afraid to get around people who, you know, have achieved, more, you know, what you want to achieve or just get around people who are going to hold you accountable and see you bigger than you probably see yourself. That's probably the biggest thing I would advise. I love that. That is, that is such great advice from Deb, such an inspirational woman successful, powerful, buying a ton of real estate. You're going to make an amazing, amazing large landlord. Uh, cheers to your success. Thank you so much for your time. And I will see you soon. We're going to do this again soon. Excellent. Thanks so much for the time. You'd be well. You're welcome. When you have a choice, I always work with the best. Yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>